Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com. Today, our guest is Stephen White. Stephen is the Executive Director of the Catholic Project at the Catholic University of America and a Fellow in Catholic Studies at the Ethics and Public Policy Center. Stephen, thanks for joining us today. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. So before we get started, what is the Catholic Project at Catholic University of America? So the Catholic Project was started in 2019. Um, uh, as a way of sort of guiding the university's response to a lot of the challenges facing the church, in particular the the abuse crisis, um, which if you okay. remember, 2018 into 2019 was was a big deal. So we've done a lot of different things, uh, partly in responding to that, working with abuse survivors. One of the things that we've done recently that people might be familiar with is last fall we published uh, uh, the results of a study, the largest study of American Catholic priests in, in more than half a century looking at how the, the crisis and the Church's response to the crisis has affected trust and confidence between priests and bishops. Um, so we've been doing a lot, of, a lot of different things trying to help the, heal, or help the Church heal, um, not just from the abuse crisis, from, but from some other bigger, broader challenges and long-term, long-term obstacles that, that we all, all know all too well. So. Uh, unfortunately, and that, that's a whole nother show, so we won't get into that, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. that would take up a lot of time. Um, the other thing is, how can people follow what's going on at the Ethics and Public Policy Center? The, the best way is just to, to go to the website, eppc.org. That's echopeterpetercharlie.org. Um, and you can find uh, most of the things that I write will show up there, uh, along with lots of other uh, other scholars right, working on so the intersection of of faith and public life, <clears throat> not, not just Catholic writers. Um, my colleague George Weigel is probably uh, one of the best known among our Catholic listeners, but we've got lots of good scholars that are doing all kinds of interesting work uh, and important work, so check that out too. All right, well, great. Well, and the reason we're talking today is you wrote an article in the Catholic uh, thing that just uh, reminds us of the sin that's kind of perpetuated the world, and really the the idea that you know, as you mentioned in your first line here, one of the evils of our day is that loss of sense of sin. And we really see that all around us, right? They're all, they're, it really is this relativistic world where people can do whatever they want. It's almost like they have, it's like I say, they don't have a conscience, but they, have, they don't have a well-formed conscience, do they? Yeah, I mean, it's one thing to be lost and know you're lost and be looking for a way back to where you're supposed to be, or at least some roadmap that gives you a sense of where you are and where you ought to be going. But I think in the world today, people um, feel all the, the bad effects of being lost, but don't quite even recognize that they're, they're lost, right? They, 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 it's not that they know something's gone wrong, but they don't know how to fix it. They're not quite sure even, even with the situation they're in. Um, and I, I thought of this, it's something that Pope Francis has talked about, and he spoke about it recently, um, that this census, and we, he was talking about it in the context of, of uh, you know, the story of, of King David who had uh, stolen the wife of Uriah the Hittite and sent Uriah off to be killed in the front lines, and then he took Bathsheba to be his wife, and the prophet Nathaniel could, you know, came, came and said, you know, you did this, you did this bad thing. What would I tell you if there was a man who did all these bad things? And he said, oh, that's terrible. I have to have that man thrown out, and 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 the prophet says to him, you are the man. And in that moment, David realizes, oh my gosh, I've done these terrible things. This is the person who, the person who's deserving of judgment is me, and he repents. 
So, so Pope Francis was reminding us that we, sometimes we need these prophets in our life to remind us of the things we've gone astray. He says we, sometimes we need you know, someone that's a son or a daughter, a mother or a father, to slap us a bit when we've slid into an atmosphere where everything seems legitimate, where, where all the things that we do, we, some, we, we justify them to ourselves and to others, not realizing that what we're justifying are things that are wrong. So we need a wake-up call sometimes. And you do a good job of really talking about the difference between the two, right? There's a difference between a loss of sense of sin and really a blindness to our own sin. And we tend to be more open to the fraternal correction when we've had that blindness to, blindness to our own sin, because we know, we know what sin is and we know, yeah, we did do something wrong. But if you have that loss of sense of sin, then to you, that's not sin in and of itself, right? It's just how you live your life. And, and that's the scary part. It's really a lot harder to get through to people like that. Yeah, so and I, I tie the things that Pope Francis said back to to Pope Pius the Twelfth, who who used this phrase. I, I want to say famously. I don't know if it's that famous, but 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 notably used this phrase in a, phrase in a, a radio address he gave in 1946. So this is just on the heels of all the horrors of the Second World War and the, um, all the atrocities um, that befell Europe during that time. And he talks about this loss of the sense of sin, I think, in, a, in an even deeper way than what Pope Francis means. You know, there's the, the kind of we, we've forgotten to listen to our conscience or maybe we've, we, we, we're, we're, we're not following the way we know we should go and we can be brought back to that. But if we've completely lost a sense of our common humanity, um, of our common, you know, that, that we are under the authority of God the Father, um, who is because he's Father, we are brothers and sisters with one another. If we've lost any reference point. It's hard to even be brought back to what we know we ought to be doing, right? You can't be reminded of where you've gone wrong if, you, if you're not aware that there was a, a, a set of guidelines or rules or laws that you were supposed to be following in the first place. And so I think our situation right now, and I think this is what Pope Pius XII was talking about, is closer to what you described as that, that, that pure relativism, where it's, it's not even that people have strayed and need to get back. They don't know that they're lost. They don't know that there's such a thing as sin at all. There's just things that I feel better or feel worse about. Um, but, but sin is something that we need saving from, right, is a foreign concept. And, and we talk a lot about God's mercy. God's mercy, first and foremost, is mercy from sin and from slavery to sin. The world that doesn't know sin doesn't know that it needs to be saved. It might know that it's miserable, but it doesn't know even where to look for a Savior. And I think that's... Uh, we see a lot of that in the situation uh, that we find in the world today. Well, and I think, you know, you talk about Pope Pius Twelfth and, you know, his comments in 1946. We like to think, you know, that what we're seeing in the world today is new and, and we could have never seen it coming. But it's been predicted by like Pope, Pope Pius Twelfth, right? This has been coming on for a long time. So this isn't something that just sprang upon us. We've kind of been ignorant to what's been going on in the world when other leaders, you know, even like Archbishop Fulton Sheen and, and, and Pope Pius Twelfth, they saw the evils that were going on. And it just feels like it's kind of coming to a head now. Yeah, it can feel like that. I think there's also a certain consolation, though, in knowing like the, the devil's very smart, but he's not terribly creative, right? So this is why we see sort of old heresies born anew, and old, you know, we, we the, the, the problems of our time, we seem to find sort of echoes or, or premonitions of them in earlier times, or even in ancient times. Um, so I think because our problems at their heart aren't necessarily new, they take a new manifestation in this crazy world that we live in now, um, but they're not new. What we're talking about is the human condition, right? The, the human story is a sort of, I, I joke with friends, I'm going to write a book someday 
called Why We Can't Have Nice Things, the story of the human race from the third chapter of Genesis to today, right? We just keep sort of falling into new versions of old mistakes. So I think as big of a problem as this is for us today, and as much as the, the, the particular challenges we face with regard to this kind of relativism, this loss of a sense of sin, a, a forgetting of God, um, it, there are new aspects to that today. Uh, but, but at the heart of it, it's, it's still the human condition. It's the problem of human frailty and human sin that always uh, requires the same sort of solution, the same Savior. Um, it's this intractable, impossible problem of the human condition, but God has an answer for it. He's provided the definitive solution for it. Um, and I think that you know, later in the article, that's, that's where I go. And that's, that's where Pope Pius XII points us. Uh, he points us to the crucified one. Right, the God well, who comes it, into this this world and, and and provides us that solution. Well, I mean, you're, we're we're really talking about salvation history, right? That continuous cycle of sin, repentance, punishment, then we come back to God, and and we see it throughout salvation history, right? That we see it throughout the Old Testament, and so we we get into these spots, and sometimes you know, it, it, there's the old saying, you kind of get the leaders you deserve, um, yeah. where we see people, you know lying regularly within our government or wherever and and on both parties and they do it with a straight face because it's almost like they don't have that sense of sin like what you know the ends justify the means and i can say whatever i want and it it is a reminder and you talk about it uh when you say you know the person who holds what is evil to be actually good it's like and i've mentioned before in other shows it's like living out the screw tape letters and we if we're not rooted in christ we can really be swept away in what's going on, can't we? Yeah, and, and that's why I think pointing to not just Christ, but Christ crucified, and of course we know Easter Sunday follows Good Friday, but pointing to Christ crucified is a reminder of the horror we ought to feel in the face of sin, right? Just as Moses lifted up the, ser- the serpent in the desert and healed those who had been bitten by the serpent, we, our sin is lifted up before us, right? That seeing what we have done to God, seeing what we have done to the Son of the Father is a reminder of the horror of, of our sin, of, of even our little sins, even the venial sins. They're horrible. They should be, we should be repelled by them. We should be, you know, um, cultivate an aversion to sin. Um, and the crucifixion, this, this odd thing that we Catholics do where we hold up images or have them in our office or in our home, certainly in our churches, of a crucified human body is not a pleasant image. Um, and it's important that we're we're sort of struck by the horror of the consequences of our sin, as Pope uh, Pope Pius II or Pope Pius XII, forgive me. Um, he he, he talked talked about the sort of the shocking visual of Christ crucified, not just as an abstraction. You know, God did this terrific thing to save us, um, but the actual cost of it. It should it should cut through our indifference. And 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 the uh, you know it's a sign of contradiction to a world that's grown comfortable, confused, suffering, but kind of comfortable in its in its ignorance, um, and 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 the, the the cross can help to shake them and shake us out of that complacency. Well, and there is no such thing as a private sin, right? A lot of people think, well, I can do whatever I want. I'm not hurting anyone. Um, now that would be somebody who actually gets what the sense of sin is, but you know. If we're all members of the body of Christ and sin hurts Christ, then we're all we're all wounded in some way when any of us sin. And so we have to live model lives, and really the faithful have to be more faithful, and they live by witness so that those who don't understand what 
sin is or they've you know live in this relativistic world right they'll see a difference in people who abide by you know a moral and have a moral compass hopefully that that would be attractive to them right because they see the joy and the happiness that in the end we all are seeking aren't we yeah absolutely and and that that kind of love that cruciform love um loving people who like us are in a way undeserving of love right i mean that's that's saint paul's great line that well we were yet sinners he came to save us we didn't deserve salvation. God gave it to us out of love. And so in the, in the, in the, to the degree that we can uh, replicate that love, relive or show that love to the world, we have to do it. And we shouldn't be afraid of doing it for people who, in one sense, are as undeserving of love as, as we are. That's the whole beauty of the thing, right? The gratuity of God's willingness to come and save us, not because we deserve it, because he loves us. And so we don't wait for people to be perfect before we love them. We, we, we show them. And if it means that we... And I mean this, really, if, we, if that means that we have to give our, our entire lives for others who might not appreciate it, who, like we do to Christ, forget about him as soon as it's convenient, um, the Christian vocation, the Christian, um, Christian discipleship is living that reality in the world, not because we think we'll be thanked for it, or not because we're even sure that it will make the difference that we hope it does, um, but because we're just passing on the same thing that we received. Right, this 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 love that we've experienced, and we can't help but pass it on to the best of our capacity. And of course, we never do it perfectly, but then we you know we go to confession, we pick ourselves up, and, and we try again. That's the bottom line, right? God's mercy is available to us pretty much any time, right? You can go to a church, go to confession. If they don't have times, you can make a private appointment. So God's mercy is waiting for each and every one of us at any time, and He expects us to have the same mercy and love for those around us, right? When we hear about forgiveness, not seven times, but 77 times, it's this, God, Christ is the model for that. And it reminds us that we are to be Christ to other people as well and, and, and offer that forgiveness and that and lead people to Christ. You talk about go out to all the world and tell the good news. That's what we're all called to do. And when we don't, then we're really not loving our neighbor, are we? You know, that's right. And I think we often look for, and maybe it's just me, we, we often look for shortcuts, right? If we had a bishop who would say this, or if we had a politicians who would pass that law, this would fix everything. There's an interesting thing in, in Pope uh, Pius's address where he talks about, you know, if, if, if we don't have this example of a God-man dying on Golgotha in itself and in the way we live our lives, what will take the place of that? What can, what can make up for what that does for us? Can, you know, he says, um, you know, can it be uh, legislation, human legislation, or compacts and treaties? Are these the sorts of things that are going to bring about the kind of change that we have to? And it's nice to think that there's some top-down solution that someone else can be responsible for, some big endeavor that we can say, so, oh, yeah, I'm in favor of that because someone else does it, and that's the, the, the sort of the quick fix. But that's not how it works. Those things are important, don't get me wrong, in politics and law and, and treaties and international relations, and, and all of those are important. Um, but we mostly shape them. And this is especially true, I think, of, of lay Catholics. You know, we're out in the vineyard. It's easy to say, I wish you know, the leaders would do this or the priests would do that or my parish. Most of the parts of the vineyard that are sort of falling into disrepair, think of the family or think of our politics or our culture or, or, or sort of injustices in our economy. That's primarily the domain of the laity. And we mostly affect those. Yes, we affect those by how we live our citizenship and vote and things like that. But we live it every day. We're 11, right? We, by the way we live our lives every day is, is the primary way in which we bring about the, the, the kingdom, the way we bring about the changes that we would hope to see. 
And so I think you're right. You know, you get the so you get the leaders you deserve. I think that's true. And I think it's it's hard to to look for to look at myself and say, what am I not doing, right? Who who around me is less likely to encounter Christ or less likely to be edified in their discipleship because I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing, right? It's not just that when I you know when I sin in this way or that way, it hurts me. What well, does? But then I'm not as good of a husband to my wife. I'm not as ready to be a good father to my children. Um, you know. When I diminish myself by sin or miss opportunities to grow in virtue, I'm I'm blunting a tool that could be useful to all those around me, and I think that that this sense of sin isn't just discrete good things or good discrete bad actions, and vir- virtue is not just discrete good things. That in our our trying to strive to follow the moral law and live a virtuous life, we're supposed to be becoming more like the one who saved us, and if we do that by grace, of course then we become help to all those around us. And if we fail to do that, we're not just hurting ourselves, but we're failing to be the help to those around us and pe- people who, who depend on us and who need us. Well, and Mother Angelica used to say, right, you might be the only Jesus someone meets today. So if we everybody took that to heart and tried to share the Lord with those that they met, life would be different. And you know, to your point about, you know, we need better leaders or everything, imagine that our particular judgment us saying we didn't do what the Lord asked us to do because the priest didn't do it or the bishop didn't do it or whoever didn't do it, right? Try using that excuse with the Lord that you didn't do what you were supposed to do and you're blaming somebody else. I think we saw that in the garden, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, we're good at that. Like I said, uh, the devil's very smart, but he's not always original, and we keep falling for the same things over and over again. Um, but, I, but I think you're right, yeah, and, and it's, it's, it's not simply enough to look at have I done any of these sort of clearly bad things, right? An examination of conscience has to take an, am I doing everything I can to become the person God wants me to be and created me to be? Which goes beyond, you know, individual sins, not to, not to diminish the importance of, of that kind of an examination of conscience. Um, there's a prayer, a prayer that I learned to pray a long time ago, and I pray it mostly because it's a prayer that I need, which is, you know, Lord, keep me, keep me sharp as in a tool so that when, I, so that I'm ready when you have need of me, rather than sort of go along, you know, uh, in complacency. And then when, when some big thing comes up, when someone needs me to be a better person than I am, or when some crisis in life comes up or when something at work happens, if I'm not preparing for the next big thing, I'm just going to sort of be on this flat line, this plateau. And that's not what we're made for, right? We should be, we should be striving and praying to become better so that when the Lord needs us to do something, we're there and we're ready. Um, and that's a constant growth. There's no, no room for complacency in that. Um, and I think I certainly would be better um, if uh, I'm better because of the, I'm, I live with people and I'm around people who live that way. And I think I, it's important for me to always be reminding myself that I, I owe that to them as well, to my wife, to my family, to my friends, to my coworkers and my community, to, to always be striving to be, to be the person God made me to be, to be more like the, the, per, the man that God wants me to be. And that's an everyday struggle. And that's the most important thing I can do. When we grow in our love for Christ and try to model our lives, that just shows how much we love those around us, right? It's not for our own personal edification. It's so that we can be who he's called us to be. And, you know, there, we, we live in a time where, right, the defense of truth, which we never thought would get to this point, uh, is is really a reminder that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And when if we don't defend truth, then we're not defending Christ. And you even talk about Nietzsche and, you know, where he says nothing, if if nothing is true, everything is permitted. And that kind of feels like where we are today, doesn't it? 
Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't recommend Nietzsche's philosophy to most people, but I think what made his philosophy so bad <laughs> is that he sort of came right up. He came right up to the brink and sort of looked over to the abyss and then sort of jumped in, uh, which you're not supposed to do. But, um, but I think he did, he he understood this that ultimately you sort of come to this this choice, right? Either either it really is true that God loved us so much that He sent His only Son to suffer and die for us, so that we don't get a free pass from suffering and death, but we pass through suffering and death to something even greater. Either that's true, or we're fools, as St. Paul says, the greatest, if Christ is not raised, we're the greatest fools, right? And we should just be living for ourselves and enjoying the world around us instead of sort of filling our lives with all, all these rules and this, this, this other stuff that gets in the way of sort of really, truly expressing who we are by nature. And I think ultimately that's kind of the choice, right? Um, it, it's, either, it's either discipleship and striving for sainthood or or a kind of nihilism, where we at most are just looking out for ourselves. Nothing in between really makes sense. Thankfully, there are a lot of um, hints and clues in the way we're made that point us in the right direction. I mean, I, I like to say the natural law is true for even for people who don't recognize that such a thing exists. Um, and we're made for happiness. The grain of reality runs in that direction. Um, but I think, we, I think you're right that we, our world today is, is faced with this choice between meaninglessness or ultimate meaning. And, and, and it's it's the case that faced with that choice, um, it's not always easy for everyone to choose to believe uh, in a world of meaning because that comes with consequences, right? If the world means something, if I was made for something, um, if there's a goal to human life that's beyond myself, if I'm subject to judgment other than my own conscience or my own mind, right, that comes with implications that can be bewildering. I think I think of I think of the example from the Gospels where Jesus came and he casts out the demons and the, the the sends them into the gathering swine and the locals look at him and they're faced with this choice of we've seen this amazing thing what do we do, and they ask him to leave. Yeah. Right, that's a real choice. They say go you know we don't want you here. You're disrupting the order of things. We were kind of comfortable the way it was, but I think that's sort of the adventure of Christian discipleship. Right, ultimately you're, when you're faced with the Creator who made you and who will be your judge, but thank goodness loves us. That, that you're put to a choice. And in a sense, we're put to a choice every day. Um, uh, but we don't ever get to, to sort of skip that or postpone it, or we postpone that choice um, at our own peril. Well, and, and living in a narcissistic world where, you know, me, myself, and I are my three favorite people, it, it, it is a challenge. But that's where that selflessness, that's where loving God, and that's where sharing the good news, you know, kind of breaks that. And it, and it shows what life looks like when you're looking out at the other and not at yourself all day. Because in the end, we see this unhappiness, this despair, the depression, you know, suicide rates, all these things that, that, that tend to uh, manifest themselves when we're focused on self, because we can never fulfill what God wants to give us. Right. And I, th- I see this all over the place. I see this even in the church, where, where instead of trying to conform ourselves to some good thing, Christ, for example, we spend a lot of time and effort trying to get other people to change the way they make us feel, right? Mm-hmm. I, I yep. feel discouraged by this, or I feel excluded by that, or I feel whatever. Okay, yeah, everyone's feelings are, are important. God gave them to us for a reason. But trying to find happiness by changing how the world around you makes you feel um, ultimately is not enough, right? We're not promised that we're going to feel good. Um, but the, the real meaning is not finding ways to get other people to feel, to help you feel a certain way. And people can go down all kinds of dark roads looking for a certain feeling, right? We all know that. 
but deciding that I've been given this life. It's going, it's a limited time here on earth. It's going to be paid out in one way or another. I might as well use my time for something good, pay my life out for something good, pay my life out in love and in service. Um, uh, to, to those around me, to those I love, and to, to strangers, to people who maybe have never experienced selflessness, um, to people who I might never know what impact I had on their lives, but because of some small thing of, I did out of kindness or of generosity, uh, you know, taking my time, um, a kind word here, those kinds of things can make a difference um, in how other people feel, even if I feel miserable, right? And so I think this this focusing on what does the world feel like to me from inside my head uh, is, is a real trap. Um, and it, and it insulates us from being able to actually interact with other people and actually be able to show people an example of, of, of the greatest truth that we know, the greatest thing that we've experienced, which is God's own love. Well, you know, reading the article, it, it really is a reminder of the importance of parenthood and raising kids and developing children with well-formed consciences, you know, that have a deep love for Christ, because to send people out into the world in which we live today without that kind of ammunition or armor, uh, you're really, you're really sending the sheep among wolves, aren't we? Yeah. And I, th- I think about this a lot because I'm a, I'm a dad. So I, I spend a lot of time thinking and writing. There, most of the things I write are secretly advice to myself as a dad, uh, but don't <laughs> tell anyone that. Um, but I think that's really true. I mean, I, there, there's so much need for going out to find people who are stuck in a world of relativism or who, or who have been swallowed up by it or, or who are, are beginning to lose their way. And, and that's the work of the church, right? Go out and proclaim the good news to all nations. One thing that we haven't been good at, in at least in this country, and in a lot of countries in the West, I think, is making sure that our children don't get to that point to begin with. Right now, like any sane parent, I know that um, I can't make my children become good people. Right? They're, it takes two to tangle. But I can do what I can to help teach them to learn from other people's mistakes, to learn lessons the easy way, not always the hard way, right? Give them the kind of formation that helps them see the world as shot through with grace and pointing to, to the goodness of God. Teach them that when they're young so that we don't have to do a reclamation project when they're in their 18, you know, 18, 20 years old and they've learned all the wrong things about the world. And then we have to try and sort of deprogram them from what the world taught them. Focusing on getting things right at the beginning makes it much easier as a parent, of course, down the line, but it also makes it much easier for the children. Imagine if they have this true Christian anthropology and a true understanding of their dignity as daughters and sons of God. Imagine if they have that from the beginning and really understand that that's not just a neat thing about life, but that our faith is the central thing in the life. It's the thing that makes sense of everything else around us, the good and the bad. If we go out of our way to really try and inculcate that in our children now, then we don't turn our children into reclamation projects where they have to sort of be saved from all the bad lessons that they learned or or, or learn much later in life lessons that we, we might have taught them earlier on. Respect Life Radio is produced by Catholic Charities in the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com.